Philippians 4, Part 1, from the sermon series, Contagious Joy, spoken by Pastor Dan Bailey. So Father, as we're here together, uh, we thank you for your presence, Lord. Yes, Lord, we notice that you can do it, that we do notice, Lord, who you are. And that's why we're here, to worship you, to thank you for all the life-changing benefits we share in Christ, for your grace, the firm foundation we stand on. Thank you, Lord, that even when around us there's sinking sand, that you are the solid rock. Lord, give us eyes to see this morning, ears to hear. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And only that which is of you, Lord, would remain, and we would be transformed into your likeness. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. What I loved about coaching and also hated at the same time is that you had to get a group of individuals with unique personalities from different backgrounds and ways of looking at things and even sometimes selfish interest and get them all on the same page to buy into the same game plan, to sacrifice a little bit of yourself for the betterment of the whole. And at the same time, to encourage everyone to be better and to hold one another accountable to the goal at hand. Not easy to do. Um, some teams did well. Adversity usually tested the strength of our unity, and sometimes we did well, sometimes we didn't do so well. But at least in sports, it's just a game. For the church, our success with unity will echo in eternity. The ripple effect is real. The stakes are exponentially higher and the opposition against it, against us, is significantly greater. Several weeks back, Pastor Mike gave a sermon about how the gospel is not just an insurance policy for a brighter day tomorrow, but a here and now reality with transforming power in the present. Today I want to talk about how the gospel is not only about me, it's more significantly about we. Yes, the gospel takes root as each individual responds in faith to the overtures of God's grace. And yes, we each enjoy a personal relationship with God and one that with a witness that's unique to our walk, but the outworking of the gospel does not end with me. It finds its full expression in we. When you became a child of God, you were brought into something much bigger than yourself, namely the family of God. Paul describes the church as the manifold wisdom of God, the dream of God, hidden in the old, concealed in the Old Testament, revealed post-cross, the church, that we, his children, would become the expression of his glory and the primary witness, his primary witness in the world as a family. Throughout his letter to the Philippians, Paul has repeatedly exhorted this fellowship to be like-minded. These are all phrases he uses, to be like-minded, to have the same love, to be of one accord, one mind, to strive together for the faith of the gospel. In short, to make unity a top priority. Why? Well, unity is, not, unity is how ministry gets done. Teamwork makes the dream work as each one plays their role, serving each other in the bigger picture of accomplishing something, a shared mission. And unity is how we grow in maturity in our faith. None of us we're meant to live the Christian life in a silo or on our own. 
or in isolation. In fact, we can't grow into the maturity of Christ apart from one another because while we have one spirit, we've been baptized into one spirit, born of God's spirit that makes us brothers and sisters, each of us have varied gifts. And these graces, as we participate with one another, we build each other up. Apostle Peter describes it as us as living stones being built together into a spiritual house. But there's a third reason. Unity is also how we, how God, rather, is made known to those around us. Unity is our witness in the world. That's quite a job description. Scriptures say they will know we are Christians by how we love one another. Because of this, Paul exhorts the church in Philippi with all urgency, one last time here in chapter 4, our text today, to remain steadfast in unity. Despite the daily pressures they faced, Paul knew about this, despite the constant threat of persecution they lived under, and despite the various challenges of a culturally diverse community still learning to live together in a very polarized tribal world, living together as the family of God. How unique this was, particularly at that time, and it would be still unique today. Let's read our, our text today, Philippians 4, the first nine verses, and see what Paul has to say about unity and how we can maintain this together. It's Philippians 4. I think it'll be on your screen for you. Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintike to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. You can't read the book of Philippians and even here in chapter 4 and not understand that unity is paramount to the success of the church. Unity matters to God. It's how we make God known. But more than an exhortation here that Paul's making, uh, not just saying, come on, be unified. Like a bad coach in a huddle when you need a play and there's only a few seconds on the clock and the coach just says, make the shot. Paul gives a strategy here. He gives us three lifestyle habits we must cultivate in order to maintain our unity in Christ. First, we cultivate unity as we live joyfully. Verse 4 and 5 says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. What does it mean 
to rejoice in the Lord. Does it mean we pretend we have no hardships, difficulties, or conflicts with anyone? Well, that would be living a lie. This world is real. In this world, we have trouble. We have struggle. Does it mean that we have to agree on everything and just conform to a certain way of thinking about every issue in life? Well, that would be impossible. God made us diverse from different backgrounds and places, and it's how we grow into fullness and understanding, gain perspective. So it's certainly not conformity. What rejoicing in the Lord means, what Paul's saying here, is that he's urging us to live in view of the unchanging privileges we share in Christ. Living in view of the unchanging privileges we all share in Christ. Paul is calling us to look somewhere else, to look higher. He's talking about our perspective and a lifestyle that we should maintain. Psalm 63.3 says this. This is David speaking. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Wow, before the cross, David was seeing this. He understood the love of God. He understood, as the New Testament says, that we love God because he first loved us. Last week, Pastor Doug talked about how the Christian benefit package is front-loaded and fully vested on the other side in heaven. And that is how we're to live our life. We have everything. We, we start from the finish line. And our worship is not to appease God so that he will we'll avoid his wrath. And it's not to uh, garner favors from God. God has already favored us through his grace. Worship is our response. It's our hallelujah. It's our way of noticing all that he is, all that he's done. And Paul's urging us to rejoice in the Lord, to live joyful lives as we remember our assurance that we have that our names are in the book of life. If you've been born of his spirit, he will not be a deadbeat dad. He will keep you. He won't forsake you. And the fact that we have complete forgiveness, that he's separated our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's pretty far. And that he chooses to remember our sin no more. That's the sufficiency of Christ and his sacrifice and the gift of righteousness that we have. That no longer are we under the tyranny of trying to be good enough and the, and the law that could only condemn us because it, like a mirror, it shows us every blemish and our need for a savior and Jesus fulfills that law. And then he stands with you and he gifts you his credentials, his resume so that you can stand before God with the same confidence that Jesus himself does. And how about his abiding presence? Wow. His abiding presence, he'll never leave us or forsake us. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. But how does rejoicing in the Lord foster unity? Well, it changes us. It changes our perspective and our attitude. We become, in view of this grandeur of God and his grace, we become less petty. We can't help. 90% of our problems would be solved, conflicts with others, if we learn to live joyfully, live rejoicing in the Lord always, making it a habit. You'll see here in these earlier verses that there was a conflict between two of Paul's co-workers, Euodia and Syntyche. And Paul doesn't even make mention of the issue because that's not the point. It's not important. And he doesn't try to arbitrate or solve it. He calls them and he calls the people around them to look higher to keep the Lord before them, to rejoice in the Lord in light of the big picture, in light of our grand purpose that we share as his ministers and his representation on earth, does it even matter? See, when we live in light of our purpose, we become less petty. What are you 
holding on to today that you need to let go of, that it just doesn't matter. Maybe even in your family, the fact that the bed wasn't made doesn't mean your child won't go to Harvard or here in the church over a methodology or way something's done. If we were all, each one of us leaders, we'd probably do every, you know, have a hundred different ways or more as many people as there are here of doing things. Paul's saying, look, keep the mission in mind. Don't get lost in the weeds. And we do. Even the best of us, people, it happens. We get so entrenched in our work, we lose focus. It happened to me all the time as a coach. And then I get a tap on my shoulder from one of the assistants and say, coach, why don't you back off a little bit? They just took finals today. You know, we don't be, we're not masters of the obvious when we get lost in the weeds. And so Paul here is saying when we live joyful lives, when we live in light of God's goodness and grace, we're less petty and we can let things go. We get offended less. But there's something else that happens here. We become less rigid. We become less set in our ways. This is about an attitude. We become more open, more humble, a little more gracious in our dealings with one another. This word in verse 5, when it says, let your gentleness be known to all, this word for gentle in the Greek is epikia. And epikia, this is a difficult word to translate from Greek to English, and that's why, in, depending on the translation, you may see moderation, patience, reasonableness, or here, gentleness. But epikia to the Greeks, they knew this to mean to be reasonable rather than rigid in matters of justice. To be reasonable rather than rigid in matters of justice. You see, there are times when there's a just law of the land or a just law in a school or at a company or even in your home that, while in general is just, when applied to certain situations, to certain people or people groups, it no longer is just. It isn't equitable. It doesn't apply. Epikia demands that we take those things into consideration, that we be a little bit more reasonable, that we Consider when to apply the letter of the law and when to demonstrate mercy because mercy triumphs over justice and even how to solve those issues behind it. There could be two students from two different schools taking the same test. One has a stellar school with the best teachers, a strong internet connection at home, and a paid tutor. The other student has none of that. In fact, they're getting half the learning done. Teachers trying to survive the day at home, no internet connection and no paid tutor and perhaps no one in the family with the educational background to help them through. The first student gets a 95, the second a 70. Epikia says that while justice says those scores stand. Same test, same amount of time. It stands. Epikia says that we consider and add value to the person that got the 70% or the 75% because of the circumstances and works to solve some of those issues that that student might face. People, I don't know of anything more diametrically opposed to this concept of epikia that God calls us to, to be reasonable in our dealings with one another, than the culture of cancel. It's the epitome of rigid. It says, if you don't agree with me, you're dead to me. It's conformity by threat. It bullies people into either joining us or being completely set aside, canceled. But here's the reality, folks. None of us deserve anything but God's wrath. We can stand for righteousness. We can stand for what we believe. But we are never in a position. If we call ourselves Christians and if we have touched and tasted of the grace of God, then we never have the privilege to dismiss anyone or to cancel them. You see, the gospel in Epikia says... I don't condemn you. I accept you. Now break free from your sin. 
It invites people. It's the kindness of God that led us to repentance. It's God's goodness that, and love that spread apart on our hearts when it explodes within us. We turn, we change our mind about who he is, and we, th- we say like David, your loving kindness is better than life. When we do this with one another, we give permission for people to change. But the culture of cancel is not of God. It's from the side of darkness. That when we live joyfully in the Lord, unity will prosper in the church. Secondly, we cultivate unity as we pray thankfully. Let's look at verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Greek word for anxiety here can be defined as pieces, not P-E-A-C-E, but pieces, like pieces of a puzzle on the ground. Anxiety is a silent killer. It robs us. It manifests itself in three primary ways. We often totally isolate because we feel so scattered, so overwhelmed, so conflicted in thoughts. We feel if we do one more thing or even enter into a social uh, engagement or to participate in the church would just make us fall apart. And so we opt out. And sometimes we're, we choose out of obligation to show up. But we're, so we're present, but we're really absent because we have nothing really to give. We're there, but we're not really there. And sometimes we show up because everything in our life is falling apart personally. And so we just want to get a win somewhere. And we enter into maybe church activity or something that's going on, a project, and we become a little bit overbearing, a little extra, a little controlling because we want something to be a win. And all of these are outworks, and they rob us, our church, of unity. But Paul gives a prevention for this inward distress. And this is a a distress that this church in Philippi knew under persecution, under pressure. Anxiety was real, and it's real for us. But Paul says this, the antidote, make your requests known to God, but do so with thanksgiving. What are you carrying today that was only meant for the shoulders of God? You ever get an email, maybe from someone in work, your colleague, and they ask you to do something, but it's a lot of work. But then you realize, hey, that's not my job description. That's another department. So you forward that email to Bob. And Bob gets it and says, this isn't for me. I'm going to forward it to Susan. On and on it goes. But God is literally saying to you, forward to me every worry-filled concern of your heart. I want to hear it all. And in every situation, as the scripture says here. But there's a second part, with thanksgiving. And i got to tell you, I've read this verse my whole life, maybe upward of a thousand times. And I've always missed it. These were just two nice words, with thanksgiving. I never understood until the Lord revealed it to me very recently within these last two weeks. See, I usually, I don't know about you, but I thank people for something after I get it. When I sit down for a meal and the waiter gives me food, I say thank you. Or if it's my birthday and you give me a gift, I say thank you. Now, there are times I've said thank you before I got the gift on my birthday because I was trying to manipulate the situation. I can assure you it doesn't work. It never worked with my kids anyway. But this idea, this with thanksgiving, making your request but with thanksgiving, what we're saying in that moment when we don't have the answer for what we've requested of God is we're saying to God that I trust you, 
that I believe you are good, that I believe you are perfect in all your ways, that you see the end from the beginning. I release the weight of godhood that I've been bearing, trying to manage outcomes, trying to manipulate you with my prayers and manipulate situations in my life. And I offload to you, not just my request, but the outcome. We don't, God doesn't need our permission, but he wants us to give him permission because it's the ultimate way we trust. Thanksgiving is our trust in God. But here's a promise when we do that. The result is the peace of God. This is a peace that transcends all understanding, as Scripture says. It's not something you manufacture. All your exercise, it's good for you, do it. But it can't manufacture this peace. Your meditations, your yoga, your positive thinking seminars and tapes that you're downloading may be helpful, but this is still not the peace of God. This is something supernatural that only God can give as we make our requests known and offload to him the outcomes of those very requests. We become free and we receive something. Scripture says here, this peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This church in Philippi would have understood this word guard because it was a military town. A lot of converted Roman soldiers retired in their, in their congregation. And this word uh, for guard literally means a soldier standing guard at a gate. The promise of God to you is that if you will give him Make a, a habit of your prayer to give him every concern, every request, and trust him with the outcomes that God himself will stand guard, his peace over your heart and mind. People, when prayer becomes the regular rhythm of your day, peace will become the dominant theme of your life. When you learn to let go, you become free to choose in. And you know what? The family of God prospers because you matter. Your giftedness, your uniqueness matters to the family of God. Lastly, perhaps a little more quickly, we cultivate unity as we think, hopefully. Verse 8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Interestingly here, Paul gives a list. This list we just read is a list of secular Greek virtues, all valued by the culture of the day. Now, we agree with them as Christians. We say, yeah, we believe, we like that too. And maybe in culture they didn't, their methodologies to get there weren't the best or it, it eluded them. But they were things that were valued that Christians can also value. See, Paul is saying, don't think, we're called to think about these things. Don't just think about what's evil. This word for think, logismi, is not just passive thinking. You know, as we do, we have to think about everything to navigate our life. It is, and it's not deep worship or meditation like living joyfully is when we worship. It is thinking strategically. It is a thinking where you analyze Rather than highlight what's evil in the world, that's easy to do. We're called to look for what's good, where we can agree, and find ways to build upon that. People, I'm not advocating silence. The church has been silent way too long on too many things, and especially on the issue of racial righteousness. We got to call it out. We got to disrupt it. And as the great Congressman John Lewis and activist 
uh, used to say, get into some good trouble. But we don't fight evil with evil people. If I were to ask you who wins the battle between the crocodile and the bear, some of you would say, I'm going with the crocodile. Some of you would go with the bear. But a wise person would say, well, where's the fight taking place? Where's the battleground? What's the turf? What's the terrain like? And so for me, if the fight is on land, I'm choosing the bear. But if the fight's in the water, my money's on the crocodile. 1 Peter 2.15 says this, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Folks, just go on social media, you'll see a lot of foolish talk. But we're not fighting evil with evil. We're fighting evil with good. We overcome evil by doing good. So Paul is giving us a way through to engage culture. And, and not indifferent from some of the mistakes in recent history of the church. The mistake of separation, where we feel like the world's going to hell in a handbasket, so let's hunker down, hold on until eternity. And we live in our bubble, stay in our schools, our private schools, and occasionally just launch a grenade of attack on them, but we... We hunker down. We don't engage them. That's a sin as the church has taken that approach. Or the sin of assimilation where we just want to be liked so bad. We, we, we become just like culture. There's really no significant difference. And because we want to put people in our pews, we are afraid to speak the prophetic words of Jesus for the times that we need because we just want to keep it safe so no one is offended. And we're guilty of that too. But Paul gives us a third way. And his way is participation. Just like Pastor Sunita and with the work of the community center, who is seeking partnerships with agencies and nonprofits and people, places where we see they're doing the same work. There's other agencies that are not Christian that want to feed people, that want to see education improve. And we as Christians want to bring light and salt to this earth. We know that there's a bigger game, and we know there's no utopia we'll ever find here, but it's looking for partnerships in what the, our culture values, what we can agree, and coming alongside. You see, in this way, we ask, how can we help? See, a church that looks for the common ground is saying, how can we come alongside you? Where can we add value? How can we help you? So in this way, we seek partnerships. But we also need to locate the people of peace people that are favorable to us in our message and to what we believe. And they're out there. There are divine appointments waiting for us if we'll engage culture. Well, Jesus did it with the woman at the well. They had a, ch a by-chance meeting, but in that time, she discovered someone that gave her living water, so much so when she knew she had found the Savior and put her faith in Jesus, she dropped her bucket because there was no other water she no longer would be thirsty. She had found the true fountain of life. She runs back to her village. And there in the village, they, because she's known, she's one of them in this Samaritan village, she's able to testify that she found the Messiah. And many come to faith right off the bat because she was one of them. They'd seen the change. They saw the countenance on her face. The shame had been removed. And then this opens an invitation for Jesus to stay a couple extra days where many people come to faith. This is how the gospel works as we engage culture and locate people of peace. But we also need to locate points of intersection where we can agree. They're out there. And that's why I believe these points of intersection. So in other words, there's a lot of organizations where you won't agree with their ideology entirely. But you do agree with something they're doing that you can come alongside and stand with them in. That's why I believe we can 
uh, disagree with the ideology of the Black Lives Matter movement as an organization for their end game and some of the things that uh, it's about, but we can stand firmly in solidarity and chant Black Lives Matter and believe that because there's biblical precedent to do so. In fact, we shouldn't be angry that they're saying it and because we can't get along with it because of the organization, it's the church that should have been the first to say Black Lives Matter. We're only 100 plus years too late. 1 Corinthians 12, 24 and 25 says this, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Did you catch that? Giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. You see, the call of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of we demands in unity that whenever there's a people group or a section of society or sector of society that's been demeaned or considered less than, that's overlooked, when the laws are not favorable, when they're put aside, that we as the church need to be the ones that highlight those people, that sector of society. We need to give them greater honor so there is equity and the church can be in unity. We need to first do it among ourselves if we're ever going to have any influence and be the salt of the earth as we engage culture. Jesus was the best example of this, of course. If you go through the Gospels, you'll see that almost all of his miracles and displays of power, all of them were to people who were marginalized, women, children, or Gentiles, or to the demonized, those just tortured by the enemy, or those ostracized, the lepers, who the Jewish people believed if they touched, they would be unclean. And Jesus says, no, when I touch you, you become whole. Jesus wasn't just flexing his muscles, saying, look at me, I'm God. He was making a political statement. He was saying, you've disowned these people. You've demeaned them. You have robbed them or marred the Imago Dei, the image of God, my stamp upon them. And I'm telling you today that these people matter to me. The first, the last shall be first. And Jesus upholds and honors these people. Zacchaeus was hated by everybody as a tax collector. And Jesus came to him and saw him, invited himself over for dinner. And Zacchaeus became generous. This is the way forward, folks. Jesus turning everything upside down in this world and showing us the kingdom of God that shows value, that all of us have a seat at the table. Grace humbles all of us. It levels the field, but it gives each of us a seat at the table with a voice and a seat of honor. And this is how the gospel works itself out as we engage the world. Here's the sobering truth, and I think also potentially the exciting truth, is we will have as much influence in the world as what we have unity together in Christ. In conclusion, you could say the gospel is we over me. It was never meant, we were never meant to be reservoirs, but a part of something bigger, rivers that flow into an ocean that the world can be saturated with the love of God. One of the ways I see unity on display at Metro Church, I've seen it in many ways, as we gathered, but one particular way most recently is with our food pantry. It's a living example of unity where you see teamwork, over 100 volunteers working, some, get, some as are giving. Thank you for your giving to this ministry. We pivoted on the dime when this pandemic hit and reallocated our resources, our, our people and our funds and volunteers showed up 
And amazingly, on the dime, we were able to do this and improve it each week. I see joy behind masks. I see partnerships with people in our community, agencies, grocery stores, and people that are partnering with us, food that's shown up unannounced. I see Epikeia on display because we see that not, every, not all of us have been affected equally through this pandemic. And some of our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters, many of them who perhaps someone in their family lost a job in this first wave of layoffs from restaurants and labor and other areas that are suffering. And I see hope with each bag of food given because it, it's a helping a need, but it's saying you matter. And I see through this ministry, we now are building rapport with people. I see a doorway through some of the people we're meeting that can be a doorway to a community we've often wondered how we will ever reach. Rather than me talk about it, a picture says a whole lot more. And thank you, Isaac, for putting this video together. It's a short video, but I hope it blesses you and gives you a beautiful picture of what God is doing here at Metro at our own church office. Eighty-nine. Plus, we have six, like twelve, that we deliver to. So we have seven to eight inside, and we have two that work outside. Okay, um, because we still have to have some type of distancing in here, and we have shifts. So some people are assigned from like 10 to 11 or 10 to 12, and then they leave. Or then the others, somebody else will come in to help. I come out here because this is what I'm supposed to be doing. God said to feed, to clothe, to take care of. And I'm just following what he's instructed me to do. That's why we're all here. We're just doing what we've been instructed to do by following the word. Amen. 
Now is our time, Metro. Let's make unity our top priority this season. Let's live more joyfully in light of God's grace so we gain perspective. We're a little less petty. We see the big picture. Let's pray thankfully, releasing every worry-filled concern and the outcome to God so we're free to choose him because you matter to the body of Christ. And let's think more hopefully so we can locate what's good in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and build upon that so that the world is saturated with the love of Christ and the gospel and the kingdom of God can bring influence to bear. God will be made known. My prayer for you, Metro, for this church, for me, all of us together, is that we will be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, the tangible expression of God in a world still grasping for straws. Let's be that people united as one body in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that as the word has gone out, that it will do its work in each of our hearts. Lord, if we see you, as David said in the Psalms, I see the Lord always before me because he is right at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Lord, we ask that we'd be that kind of people, that we see you so clearly, that you would focus the eyes of our heart, that, Lord, we would become in alignment with our purpose and become a force in this world. Will you do that for Metro? Will you help us in this hour of need? Apart from you, we can do nothing. But with God, all things are possible. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done, all that you will do. And we commit ourselves to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your phones or in, in the app, the Metro app, or um, if you go to emetro.org backslash Sunday, you can access um, that. We want to take you through some next steps. So either way, if you could do that right now. If you have never said yes to Jesus and you want to receive Christ as your Savior today to become a part, not just of God, union with God, become one of God's children, but become a part of the family of God and the work of Jesus Christ around the world. Will you check that box? We'd love to connect with you and help you in your journey. It's the best decision you can ever make. God says all things become new. And secondly, I will choose to engage my church family in conversations about racial righteousness. Um, that we won't stop the conversations. The sacred space we had a week ago was so powerful. Um, and it's a great uh, start, so to speak, and we need to go further and continue to work together as a diverse body of Christ. What a light we can be in the world if we'll do that work among ourselves. Thirdly, I will consider being a part of a team that considers ways we can connect with our Spanish-speaking neighbors in Inglewood. We've made some new friends. We have people that can be doorways and gateways to a whole community. Will you consider, particularly if you're a Spanish-speaking person, to be a part of a group that will pray and consider how we can be more strategic to reach them? Fourth, I will support the Crisis Benevolence Fund and the food pantry with a financial gift. We formed the Crisis Benevolence Fund very quickly when this pandemic hit, knowing that people would be in crisis. And I wanna thank you for your generosity 
We want you to continue to give to the general offering because we need to keep things moving and going. And uh, thankfully, we're, we're still doing that here despite all that we're facing, all the changes of life. But will you today, you're gonna see in, your, in the phone or even online, if you go to the website, emetro.org, uh, backslash Sunday. There'll be a way to give there. I'll, I'll mention that again, but consider giving a gift there. And I will read Philippians 4, 10 through 23 in preparation for next week's sermon by our own Pastor Clay. I love Clay's message. He's one of the most consistent people I've, I've met in my life. I've known him now just for one year, but each day Clay just seems to maintain his peace and his joy. I'm looking forward to his message.